Hey everyone, welcome back to the Emergency Medical 101 podcast. So today we're going to be talking about why people typically fail the NREMT. Um, I've been thinking about doing this for a while and I kind of talked with some people in some group chats online and really realized that a lot of people struggle with taking this exam. And there's a few key points with taking any accreditation exam or things like that that you just have to consider and you have to really dig down, ask your professors, ask the people that you're, you know, that have taken the the exam before and what they experienced and, you know, things like that. And then try to also kind of myth bust some things yourself before you get caught up in the the cycle of self-doubt. So today we're going to be talking about why people fail, right? So to start things off, it's important to understand that the majority of these credential tests have a certain goal in mind, right? Now, some people can take these tests and pass them the first try with little to no studying, but for others it can be extremely difficult, right? There are a few things that you have to consider when you're studying for the test and prepping your mind beforehand, because really it's it's a mental test more than it is a knowledge test. The first thing is understand the level of licensure that you're testing for. If you can think about your role in the system, then it'll be easier for you to pick apart the appropriate answer For basic EMT, the main objective is to distinguish when to call for ALS assistance and to recognize basic interventions and contraindications. Most of the time, you won't have to think very hard into the pharmacology questions because they'll be more related to when to not do something versus when to do something. So on the basic level, it's really about acknowledging the limitations of your scope making sure that you don't go above and beyond and that you really know when to call somebody and really analyze when this patient is is a serious patient. If you're going for an advanced EMT licensure, it'll be the same, but there'll be some variance there. There'll be a substantial amount of physiology that'll kind of be added on, and the focus is balanced on knowing how far your scope is and when to use interventions and weigh out the benefits with them. It's not uncommon to see questions asking you whether to transport a patient to the nearest hospital, which is about five minutes away, or wait for a paramedic that's 10 minutes away. These can be very difficult if you are unaware of like the gravity of your patient's illness. Um, and also, these kinds of questions will heavily gauge your knowledge of appropriate interventions for the illness. Some might have a mixture of calling for a paramedic while treating the patient to the fullest extent of your capabilities. The advanced EMT, and I, and I will say this for my perspective, I went through the whole, you know, linear ladder all the way up. I was at a basic level, then I went to advanced school, then I went to paramedic school. So I can tell you from experience, I felt that the advanced EMT was actually more challenging because you're adding on a lot of things to your scope. And especially the, the new National Registry um, scope of practice has been altered a lot to let a lot of advanced EMTs do things that they weren't able to do in, in the past. For me, it felt more challenging because there are a lot of questions that gauge what things you can do, and you still have to be in the basic mindset of trying to call for that assistance otherwise. As you go up to the paramedic scope, they have a variety of questions. Um, Most categories will have very basic questions and a few very critical questions. For these questions, it's important to remember BLS before ALS, which I'm sure everybody's heard of a million times already in the past. But you'll have to decide on the means of transport, and that's going to be a big staple of being a paramedic. And if the patient might be better suited for like a helicopter or maybe even a fixed wing if you're in a place that has that capacity. But for all intents and purposes, 
the paramedic scope is going to be a very, very wide range of things. And where I typically have seen people fail on the medic side is that they don't remember the basics and they end up answering everything. You know, everybody gets innovated. Everybody gets cracked. Everybody gets an IV and, and two liters. Everybody gets, you know. So it, try to remember as you're going up, you still have to remember the basic level, the basic interventions. The reason why it's important to understand the role that you're testing for is because like before, you know, every role plays that crucial part in the system. And as important as the job is, understanding your job is just as important. If you have a lot of people that's not acting accordingly to their job role, then the whole entire system kind of doesn't work, right? There's a tier system because not, you can't hire just all paramedics in there, right? Or all critical care paramedics and all nurses on the trucks and things like that because it's just not feasible, right? You have to have the lower end providers that can be able to triage the patients properly and move them up the chain accordingly. So let's get into the testing format, right? The NREMT has changed a few times over the years, but the most important thing to know is that it uses a CAT system, which is adaptive testing. There's a large pool of questions that are randomized and the objective is to score a certain number of correct answers in each category to prove competency in it, right? So it's not just that you know, you have 100 questions, you have to get 80 of them right. It's a lot of questions, it's pulled from a pool of questions, and the whole objective for you is to make sure that you can answer within a competent level a certain amount in each category. So that kind of actually works in your benefit, right? Because if you don't have to be perfect <clears throat> in a category as much as you just have to be proficient in it. So that kind of benefits you a lot in the ways of you know, you don't have to go through the chapter and read your OB a hundred times or, or read your cardiology a hundred times, or you don't have to make sure you memorize every single word. You just have to know the concept. You have to be able to find the answer. You have to be proficient in it. The good news is if you fail, you get many more attempts to pass the test. I haven't checked it, but I know that before it was six attempts. So kind of don't be discouraged if you fail the first time because a lot of people do. And you will also get a breakdown of each category that you did not meet proficiency in afterwards. So of course they're not gonna tell you the answers that you got wrong, but you'll know what you fall behind in. So then you can go back and you can study on those, ask questions, try to figure out or try to remember the questions that you know you recall from the test that may have been related to that that you weren't you know that you were unsure about. Now onto the most important thing, right? So why do we most often fail? It varies on the role, yes, but there are some common overlap when testing for each licensure. The most common categories that people fail are OB pediatrics and operations. Let's talk about some of the tips for picking the right answers with these. So operations, right? Operations is the biggest one. People fail operations because, you know, whenever you're starting EMT school, typically the very first chapter of any program is going to be your operations. It's going to be what to expect, how do you triage, how do you do this or how do you do that, how do you properly you know, load the, the stretcher up into the truck, how do you call for a helicopter, do you travel upwind, downwind, things like that. That's all your operation side. And if there is anything operationally that is related to safety, the typical answer will be to direct you to leaving the scene or not approaching the scene. It's not uncommon to see a question that says something like, you know, let's, let's, let's go through a question actually. So I pulled up one here. It says, as you approach the scene, you notice two guards outside of a warehouse laying down on the ground. They don't appear to be aware of your presence, right? So as we are looking at this question, it's very vague, it's very generic. 
right? But we already know that there's two people that are unknown that are down, right? So what are we thinking? This could be a hazmat-like situation because it could be a gas, could be a neurological agent, it could be somebody, somebody shot them and that's why they're on the ground, right? So automatically you think this is a safety concern. So the golden rule in EMS and the golden rule in healthcare is that you cannot help anybody if you are a patient yourself. Let's look at the answers. The answer is approach the warehouse with caution after calling for additional unit. Place some face mask on and proceed as you normally would. Wait for 10 minutes and then proceed upwind. Do not approach a scene and call for a hazmat before attempting contact. So automatically, a lot of people where they get this wrong, and especially on the lower levels, like towards your basic and your advanced, especially if you're new in the field and you're, and you're taking these, the mindset is still, we need to get in, we need to get the patient, we need to help them out, we need to, you know, all this other stuff. Well, in this particular scenario, it is putting you in a position to where you're going to have to backburn the things that you want to do, right? Your natural instinct to help the patient. The reason why you went to this school, it's asking you to put yourself above the patient because you have to if you want to be able to help that patient and the next one. So, of course, the obvious answer is do not approach the scene, right? You call for hazmat before attempting contact. Now, I wrote out this question. It was a memory from an old question that I remember taking during the EMS testing days and things like that. But it was similar to that. It was, it was birds outside or something like that. The whole objective here is to put safety first, right? So secondly, you want to pay attention to the incident command system. In operations, many people struggle with understanding the roles of each level of the incident command system and really don't pay a lot of attention to those NIMS courses that you have to do, right? The ICS-100, the 200, the 700, the 800, the 9 million, you know, all of the fancy numbers and letters. But whenever it comes to those, most people fail because of not knowing which position controls which function in a mass casualty. So you need to know about your liaison, right? So the person that's going to be talking to the public, you need to know about your logistics team, the person that's going to be handling getting you supplies so you can triage and help these patients like you should. And lastly, when it comes to operations, a lot of things are related to your personal protective equipment, right? Your PPE. Any question that's related to PPE has to come first. There's no exemptions to this rule whatsoever. And a lot of the questions will prompt you and say things like, you know, a patient is having a massive hemorrhage, you suspect them to bleed out within the next minute and a half. What is your first objective or your first thing that you do at this point? Something like that. And all of the questions will have the same premise. Like one of them might say, you know, stop the bleeding, then wash your hands, ensure that, you know, you, you're following all of your protocols for exposure after things like that or whatever. So they seem kind of good because it seems like you're helping the patient. You might be taking a little risk, but you're still considering the exposure. No, the answer is always going to be the most obvious, which is done on your PPE first and then treat the patient after, right? Even if it runs into a bit of a time difficulty where the patient has to suffer a little bit, your exposure your comfort, your safety is always going to be first as a provider. So let's talk about pediatrics next. I'm not going into a lot of detail with these because I, I don't want to overshadow the whole thing because you might get into a situation that or a question that might actually ask you something similar but is directed towards something differently. And you really just have to gauge what the question is trying to get from you. And eventually you will be able to catch on to those the more that you try them out. But let's talk about those pediatrics, right? The most frequently misunderstood thought is that 
Because pediatrics resemble adults, you know, they're tiny humans, they act within the same physiological conventions that adults do. That is anything but true. And one way that is, or one way that becomes extremely apparent is in the respiratory anatomy of pediatrics. The cricoid rings are not fully developed, the trachea is very malleable, and their tongues are typically larger in proportion to their mouth as well. So why is this important to know? Because most often these pediatric patients will go into cardiac arrest secondary to respiratory failure. And whenever you're triaging and talking about, you know, pediatrics versus adult patients, you have to understand when you're triaging and when you're talking to an adult patient, you are doing a lot more detective work, right? So you're trying to figure out what illnesses and what diseases they have. What is their family history? What is, what is something that makes them more likely to have an adverse event or an adverse reaction, whether it's to medication or lifestyle. With a pediatric, unless they have a genetic disability or a genetic anomaly that makes them more susceptible to something, you're typically just worried about what their anatomy and physiology is going to do to their situation, right? So it's either gonna be a traumatic situation or it's gonna be a respiratory situation. That's why pediatrics that have RSV and flu and all of these other things might be a little bit higher risk as far as having the the compensatory mechanisms crash very quickly. With pediatrics, the most important thing to remember, no matter what level it is, is that they will always go into cardiac arrest, usually secondary to respiratory failure. And the questions might direct you to find out the cause of a pediatric going into cardiac arrest, right? So the objective is to find the answer that is related to the physiology of the infant or toddler. More so, you wanna find what illness or situation most acts on their anatomy being different, right? So you can have the same exact scenario for a 40-year-old that you could for a two-year-old, and your thought process needs to be different for them, right? So it's important to think also that you know, test-taking strategies is also going to play a big role into this. So as far as the pediatrics and operations, get into the mindset that those are gonna be the most imperative because those are the most critical, right? But as far as the test-taking strategies, the thing that's gonna benefit you the most is knowing where you fall short. So Limer Education, and I'll, and I'll post a link below to give them credit, actually posted a really good piece on why most people fail the NREMT. And it's broken down into three, three things. The first one is lack of knowledge. The second one is attention issues, right? So if you're attention deficit. And the last one is just anxiety. A lot of people have test anxiety. So I'm gonna give a few tips that help with these issues and people might agree with or they might think that, they, that it's not really, it's not gonna benefit them. The first thing is if you pass the course, then you know the material. Now, of course, if you pass 80% right on that line, you might need to freshen up. You probably, you know, fell a little, a little short of where you should have been, and you might want to go through the material a little bit just because you tested right at the bare minimum. So it might be challenging to take that exam that might be slightly different and going in with the anxiety that's probably going to bring you down a little bit. You might have to freshen up on the material around test time anyway. As long as you pass the course, then you should be able to pass the exam. Now, a few little tips here. Do not study the night before. I tell everyone this because they just don't understand, but if you don't know it by then, it would harm you to crunch everything the night before. 
if you get it in your head and you are struggling and you can't sleep and then you stayed up to one o'clock in the morning and you're testing at seven stuff like that sleep is going to be your best friend do not stay up the night before crunching if you want to do a tiny bit in the morning like let's say set aside 30 minutes to an hour first thing you get up before your daily tasks and everything sure that'll benefit you but do not try to crunch a whole bunch of stuff you don't know the night before space out your studying to work better for you but do little bits and pieces the more that you try to soak in at one time the less you will remember the second thing practice questions there are so many apps and so many videos and so many websites now to be able to take practice questions. If it's going to be a career for you, invest into it. Go ahead and pay for these little things here and there, right? EMT prep is a big one. I used EMT prep right out of medic school. I did it right out of A school. Um, and I use it and, it and it worked well. A lot of their questions are very similar. And if you put it into, I forgot which setting it is, but it'll actually tell you why you chose the correct answer, which is the most important thing because sometimes you can guess the right answer, but knowing why you did is gonna be better. Platinum Planner is also really good. I also use that one through medic school and everything, but EMS testing through them is very great. And they're actually partnered with the, the National Registry too. So when you're taking this exam, you're getting answers or you're getting questions that is directly, you know, derived from the actual exam. You know, they, they pilot a lot of these, they try out a lot of these questions and stuff through EMS testing before they put it on. So that'd be a really good one for you to use. Or even pocket guides. There's like, I think it was like 15 pocket guides that you can download on any app store. Go through those, go through the flashcards, but practice the questions because when you practice the questions, you're already beating that test anxiety. You can know the material. You just have to know which thing to put on the answer. And most of the time, as much as they don't like to say it out loud, the questions are there to trick you, right? They're trying to trick you into giving the wrong answer, but they're trying to point you in the direction of the right answer. And the last thing, or I guess second to last thing, do not delay taking the exam. You have the most knowledge the day after the course is finished. Some people wait for months after, and it can harm their ability to pass. You know, the, what is that, that old saying? You know, if you don't use it, you lose it. And that's the same thing with knowledge. You want to go when everything's fresh. And if you have a little bit of time beforehand to just go do a quick refresher, you know, take maybe a week or two before you, you, you know, pass the course and you actually go to take the exam. If, if you want to do that, absolutely but do not delay taking it. Some people go and they try to take it months after and they fall heavily short. They are failing in a lot of categories and stuff like that. Don't let the test anxiety make you push it back. You have multiple attempts. You have like six attempts. It might be less than that now, I don't know, but it, you have like six attempts on this exam. If you fail the first time, that's a good thing because you know what to expect next, right? Schedule it out for another two weeks after. You went in there, you tested, you saw how the questions are made now, so go and take it again. And lastly, let's talk about how the NREMT has changed this last time. So this last time here, the NREMT has changed a little bit to where they have scenario-based questions. And this is changing the game for a lot of people, some for the better, some worse. The NREMT is modeling a lot of stuff after the NCLEX because the NCLEX has worked, right? The NREMT 
has been very cutthroat for a long time. The passing rate has been very, 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 very standardized, averaged, a little bit higher, whatever, and it's just made it difficult to get people in the field. So to mitigate that, they want to test your knowledge more than they want to test you on the questions. The NCLEX was a good model of that. So we've taken a lot of things from that, and we have been able to create scenario-based questions that try to gauge you as a medic, and as an EMT, and as an advanced, or as a critical care, or on your flight side, everything. They want to know how well you could perform if given the questions. So whenever you are answering these, this is my biggest thing. Make sure that you're reading the question thoroughly. Make sure that whenever you get to this question, it's going to have four or five, maybe even close to 10 questions in a row that's all the exact same prompt, right? I, I go back to, you know, whenever you took that standardized testing back in elementary, middle school, high school, depending on where you lived, a lot of them had the same prompt and it carried on for three or four questions. Well, picture this the same way. This is actually very similar. So what you have to do is you have to read the question and think about which portion of the call that you're in. If you are preparing for the call, which will be a scenario, don't look at the actual, the, the, the scenario as a whole. Look at what you were dispatched to. If you were dispatched to a 23-year-old male that had a gunshot wound, then don't consider any of the other prompt except for that one. That is all you're dispatched for because that dispatching information is all you are prepared to know. Answer the question according to that. Then as you're moving on to on the scene, it's going to ask you what to look for, things like that. You should look for bystanders, right? Do you have law enforcement there? Do you have stuff like that? But think about what portion of the prompt you're in now and answer accordingly to that. Now, I have to give a big shout out to Dr. Bill Young. He was my professor. Um, he helped me a lot whenever I was in school, um, him and Hillary Yu. I appreciate both you guys. Um, Dr. Bill Young, he has a podcast called 10 Minute Medic. Um, it is a really, really, really good um, show. I, I hope that all you guys go and listen to it if you're into the EMS style podcasts. And usually I do a little bit more on the nursing side and stuff like that too. So I'm not typical as far as that. But if you are really hard not and this is your field, go listen to his podcast. But he said something that stuck out to me a lot whenever we were talking one day. And one of the things that he mentioned whenever you're taking these kinds of exams is that you have to read the question for what it is. Many people will read these questions and they will think of a hundred possibilities around it. You know, they'll do the what if scenarios. What if, what if this happens or what if this happens, right? And the question is not asking you that. The question seems like it's missing things because you're trying to add things into it. Do not add anything into these questions. Read the questions exactly for what it is, and then answer accordingly. If there are things that you feel like are missing, and so some of the answers do not apply to it because there's more things that need to be considered, that's not the correct answer. These are a little bit to trick you. These, these questions are a little bit to trick you, but they are not directed towards making you fail. They're making you look at the, the scene and the patient and everything for exactly what it is and not anything else. No extra considerations, no extra input from others, you know, no extra thoughts behind it. Just read the question exactly how it is and answer that question for what it's asking you. Never, ever, ever say, what if something happens with that question? Because that will lead you off into a different direction and you'll choose the wrong answer. 
But anyway, that's everything that I have for you guys today. If you like the podcast, I appreciate it if you give a like, share it to your friends that are in EMS, if they're going to nursing school, if they're going to CNA school, if they're, you know, becoming an EMT, if they're a mid-level that you really like, or if you're going through, you know, school to be a PA, things like that yourself. I hope that you enjoy what you listen to and like it and share it to them um, or leave a comment or give it a good rating on whatever you listen to. But anyway, if you guys have any questions, comments, concerns, things like that, feel free to reach out to me. My email is emergencymedical101 at gmail.com. You can also reach me on Instagram. You can follow the links in the description. Thank you guys so much again for listening. Y'all are the best.